welcome back to another episode of Bloodthirsty Times. I'm Will. And I'm Octavio. And it's your girl, Emily. And this week, we are diving into the worst untold serial killer in Joliet, Illinois history. So, cheer on the bears, because this is going more than nine innings. So, grab your hat, decks, and join us in these bloodthirsty times. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. They are a product of the times, and these are bloodthirsty times. Well, we're back. We went on a week hiatus. That's my bad. Guess yeah, yeah, gonna no. let me it eat was, it. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, cool. I just want to see what you said. Yeah. I said it was my bad. Okay, you let me yeah. eat that. Nah, nah. I can't completely blame just you. We had a, a okay, so we're doing this thing where we have like uh, we decided to do like a little mini series within our show, and we were doing uh, three un not very well known serial killers. And we didn't quite realize what that meant. It means finding no information anywhere about anything. So we just, we weren't ready and we weren't able to collect the information we needed. So, you know, sure. Is Will to blame? Sure. Yeah. But, you know, it was, it was a collective. We didn't realize we bit off more than we could chew. You know, we didn't want to that's, put that's on a half ass episode. We wanted to make it great. Yeah. So we waited. Well, yeah. Once I started listening to the story and realized it wasn't a, I could probably half-ass this and get y'all the information y'all want to get your kicks. Uh, I'm like, yeah, we got, we got to take another week. We got to take another week. <sighs> so, yeah, but, but the good news is we have a mini series coming at you over the next month, month and a half of serial killers you've probably never heard of. So there's some positives out of it. Except for death. Yeah, there's that. Yeah, that's not a positive. No. I think that's a net negative. Mm. I mean, it depends on who you're asking, honestly. Exactly. Like Some people are into that. Kim Jong-il? You're asking the- like Kim Jong-il? Death? Mm. Sure. Putin? Positive. Putin? Putin? Come yes, on. Putin. Let's get on the train. Let's get Let's on that see. bandwagon. Is Putin worthy of death? You know, there's a lot of speculation that he will have a bullet in his head within the next six months, so... He is single-handedly fucking his whole nation. So, I mean... Who's going to do that, though? Well, okay, so the thing is... Have you seen... There's, like, our own senators calling for us, like, hey, someone should probably put a bullet in this guy's head. But the thing is, it can't come from an American. It can't come from another country. It has to be a Russian citizen to do that. And when that would happen, I don't know. Probably never. But they're saying that... they're saying that it's very likely, though, because people are not happy with him in Russia. There's a lot of protests. I don't feel like they just started becoming unhappy, though. Like, why hasn't it started done if they are saying that it's going to? I, I don't know. I well, think maybe the Ukraine invasion is a catalyst enough to get people to do it. Being, you know, no, 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 no. In the works for eight years. Whether or not people were unhappy in Russia prior to this, they were wealthy. And now that there's... Oh, yeah. Oligarchs. Mm. There are heavy sanctions 
mm-hmm. on Russia. Uh, yeah, that ruble is worth like less than a penny. Yeah, that's that's pushing a lot of people to say, "Hey, hey, man, uh, you're fucking with my money." And it's really shitty that people waited yeah. until their money was fucked with the care. That's that's just the world. I don't know. It's always well, been that way. But also, he wasn't invading another country earlier. Oh, but he invaded first, and they were kind of like, yeah, sorry, Ukraine, like, we feel our hearts are with you and stuff like that, but then the second their money got fucked with, people were like, oh, yeah, we're going to kill that dude. Mm. Like, it became 20 times more serious to them than it did I, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. Just yeah. like over here, like, people are fucking blaming Biden for Germany's gas prices. Like, does <laughs> do people not understand how that works? No. No, just Clearly. Biden. Clearly. It's just Biden. It's just, it's just an, high gas prices are simply just an American problem. No other country in the world is dealing with this. It's just America. You know who controls gas prices? The president. Biden. Biden. Did you know that? Y'all didn't know that? <laughs> yes, he controls them for every country in the world. Dude, we're going to piss off true. so many so, people. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know how we ended up here. So but, many um, people that are like, fuck Biden, man. He's making my gas $6 a fucking gallon, bro. Stop putting the fucking stickers on the gas pumps, though. Jesus. Sick of that shit. Or that I did that. Or putting his I, his son, like, I hope gas prices don't get this high. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and his son all fucked up on heroin. He is a heroin addict, so well, that, that is true. That's the only thing he's committed to. <laughs> yeah. Well, but uh, anyways, uh, doing... we got into the, we digressed super early this episode. Go <laughs> <laughs> uh, America! The Bloodthirsty Times podcast does not reflect on any of our ideals or except political for all opinions. Except for we are literally saying these things. So. No, I promise I don't like the gas pump stickers. <laughs> I stick by that. All right, so you can send all, all right. your angry emails to Emily. Thank you. I'll read them, and I will apply as per my last email. <laughs> Be a straight corporate pettiness. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, Richard, thanks for having the background music to our conversation about a uh, bullet through Putin's head. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed your week Appreciate off, it. Richard. Yeah. I don't know if we can what? afford him that much longer because gas prices and shit. I don't He works remotely. It's fine. Sorry. That yeah. weird sound was my dog. Oh, not a tambourine? No, it was just my dog. <laughs> that, that's, our, that's our assistant, our new Richard, in case he can't show up. We're trying out a new person. They have wow, a tambourine, saying, not a piano. You're saying, you're saying Richard's the dog. Wow. Okay. No. The dog's replacing you, Richard. I see, I see where, you're, where you stand on this matter. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, that went from a uh, quick, quick announcement to whatever that was. It was our hey, catch-up right, well, moment. This is how we do it. Yeah. Well, let's start on the new episode. Now, this week's episode takes us to Joliet, Illinois, in 1983, which was called Juliet, and there's a nearby town called... Can you guess it? Joliet? Joel. Romeo, you fucking idiots. Oh. Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> and they called it Joliet. Oh, my Yay. God. I didn't see that coming. Me yeah, either. well. <laughs> that work with imbeciles. Now, 
Joliet, Illinois, in 1983, was dubbed Terror Town, USA, after the numerous weekend slangs during that summer. Joliet is the fourth largest city in Illinois and home to numerous famous people, including Lionel Richie. Hello. Is it me, is it me you're looking for? I'm so glad I didn't pick a song to sing because I totally would have screwed that one up. I didn't. You don't know that song? No, I do. I, I just was going to sing someone else's. <laughs> Completely different. Yeah. Moving he on. In, he, he grew up in Juliet. Yeah. Now it's, he, was a, he gave up tennis for singing. He did. He made that good decision. There were yeah, a, did. a lot of famous people that came from Joliet. Yeah, a surprising amount. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like the Blues Brothers was based on Joliet. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, <clears throat> there are some other famous people that I don't remember their names, but yeah, they were from there. Mm-hmm. Now, Joliet sits on the Des Plaines River and a lot of, I'll say large businesses, but I mean major corporations, Mars, Amazon, those type of businesses. They set up distribution centers in Joliet because it has one of the largest inland ports in North America. But we aren't here to talk about the good stuff. No. Nah. We're going to be talking about some some bad stuff. One of the worst Um, mass murders in their history. But, you know, I digress. (laughs) And this is... Your blanket warning now. I'm starting it now. It's not going to get gnarly right now, but I'm telling you right now, it's going to get bad. Like, it took me over a week, even more than think, today. So oh, maybe two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I think it's about two weeks. Yeah, you've been looking into this, and we, like you said, we had a hard time finding information because I think 2021 was like the first book ever written about this case because no one talked about it. But um, yeah, I think as far as um, whenever we talk about a serial killer, I think just go ahead and assume it's going to be some gnarly stuff in there. And we don't yeah. hold back. And this is a uh, 1980s gnarly. Mm. So it gets bad. In any case, let us begin. On June 17th of 1983... Teresa McKean was heading out for the night after her long shift at the EJ rail yard. She left at about midnight and she only lived about five miles from that railroad. She headed home and soon noticed a truck parked along the side of the road with its dome lights on. The truck soon later pulled alongside as if trying to pass her, but instead would just keep pace with her. Suddenly her window blew out and the truck raced ahead. She had thought some kids had thrown rocks at her windshield, but realized her window had been shot out by the passing truck. She soon lost track of that truck as it pulled off down a side road, but further along, the truck reappeared, blocking the road. She saw a man, who was black, approximately six feet tall, standing outside the truck holding a gun. He yelled at her, but fearing for her life, she pushed further on that gas pedal. As she passed the man, he fired four more gunshots at her vehicle, but missed. The truck pursued her for a bit until she pulled off the main road and realized the truck had stopped following. She later told detectives 
that the truck was dark in color and believed there were two people in that truck when in reality there was only one. And between the adrenaline and fear, her mind started to play tricks on her and actually made her believe there were two people in that truck. Once she was safely home, she phoned the police, but back in 1983, 911 didn't exist. And so that phone call went to an off-duty sheriff who answered the call and began the investigation. He was under the impression that he was looking for two people in that dark-colored truck, and so he began his search around 2 a.m. He focused on the east side of Joliet near Route 6 and retraced the woman's route back home in hopes of encountering the suspects. He noticed a dark colored truck and found a man standing next to it. He quickly jotted down the license plate before speaking with the individual, and he asked a man for his driver's license, which he ran, and the name came back as Milton Johnson. Now, Johnson was all alone, and after the officer was done with the brief interaction, he left the scene as he had no evidence that Johnson was the shooter from the previous interaction and had no legal obligation to arrest Johnson because parking alongside of the road was not illegal, and so Johnson was free to go. Wait a minute. Wait. Hold on. You, what? Okay. So you get a report that just had, you just got a call about uh, a woman saying that the, a guy in a truck who was pulled over on the side of the road was shooting at me. And then you pull up to where she says she was shot at and there's a guy on the side of the road. And you don't ask more questions? No, dude. You don't You don't take the guy just on suspicion alone and take him to that or put a place where she could identify if that was the guy she saw? You didn't do any of that? No, man. Parking alongside the road is not illegal. I, it's not illegal, but if you there's a call of a saying someone saw you saw a car on the side of the road shooting at me, I would think that's cause enough to be like, dude, were you shooting at somebody? And what do you think it's probably one of the reasons why now anyone in the area yeah. of a case or anything they take a little card of information in case something comes back later. In most in most cases. They just, what would they call like a record of conversation, right? Mm -hmm. You get called out for a house party and you're like, hey, fucking keep the music down, guys. And then it comes back again. Now you're like, well, I talked to you once. Now you're in trouble. The cop didn't even document that he even spoke with yeah. Mr. Johnson. I just. Uh, He's like, oh, there's even, not, there's not two of you from, in uh, the car? Yeah. Right. <laughs> You're not our guy. Go ahead. Go ahead, sir. Yeah. Oh, God, there's just so many things he could have done. Uh, run uh, run a background. I mean, I know he can't because this is the 80s, but uh, call it in, right? You can call it in at this time, 80s. Take note, make a report regardless and still have it follow on file. up. Follow up, possibly. Well, you uh, would look just... Look into the guy. You would just tell this um, guy, was like, eh, I pulled this guy over. I don't think he meets the description. I'm just going to let him go. And this is the vehicle. This is the license plate. And if something help, just, happens later, uh, here's I the can answer. understand. I, I really can't understand that this was just a dude. Maybe he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the police, maybe he's thinking of it that way. Like this, like you said, it's not illegal to be parked on the side of the road and you know be there. However, when there's a report 
of someone in a truck that fits the description and they're shooting at you, you would, you would think like, Hey, can I, do you have a gun on you? Like, I feel like that could have solved a lot of problems. No, I just asked if there was a, no, he was black. Can't, Uh you can't ask those questions. Ah, well, well, can't be racist, bro. I don't even think this is a racist <laughs> point. I, just, I, I think, think this is a do laziness. your job. Yeah. This is a do your job type yeah. of thing. But this is a 1980s, guys. Come 1983. On. You know, I don't know. I think you probably covered, but I, there's no 911 at this point. So yeah. there's that too. There's not? No. No, not yet. Not in Joliet. It, uh, 911 was made in like 64, 1964, six, maybe 67, sometime so how in the did 60s. They call people? Uh, yeah, there's a specific phone number yeah. to like the county or the um, seven di- office yeah it was a seven digit number i mean there was one. a way to contact the police is what i'm saying like it's not like you just had to holler down the road no, no it's not a holler but it was a seven digit and it, it didn't go to like a 911 call center it went to in this case like an off-duty sheriff who just happened to be on call for that night he pulled the short straw and he was stuck answering mm-hmm. telephone calls from citizens yeah I, th- I just know that at this time, uh, Joliet did not have 911 service. They had just a regular phone number, even though, like I said, it was in the 60s when 911 was created. And I don't know when it was implemented in these, because Joliet's not like a big town. It's what, a couple of 45 miles south of Chicago. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. probably one of the closest big towns, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I wouldn't consider it a big town at all. Uh, no, especially town not- with a lot of back roads. Especially not in the eighties. I think now yeah. it's it's a it, it's a pretty popular town, but I think in the eighties it was more of a port up and coming. It was up and coming. It was, it was on its way to being something, but it wasn't there yet. Yeah, it was it was a port town. Uh and and most of the city was like commercial mm-hmm. type. Yeah. And the outskirts were the uh, uh residential type of districts. Yeah. Anyways, uh, like Emily said, this is uh, just the laziness things. But anyways, let's see what happens. Yeah. Well, just outside the city limits of Joliet was a quiet countryside. And the cross streets were Rosalind and Briggs Street. Again, this is a small town that marks the countryside. And Honora Bloom, or Nora for short, was a previous grade school teacher for 40 years and had retired in 1975 to live the quiet life on her property. She was previously married and her husband died at a young age and now she was living on her own. She owned 30 acres of farmland that surrounded her home and had signs posted for hunters to keep clear of their property. Now everyone on Roseland was pretty neighborly and although Nora lived alone, her next-door neighbor was her very own sister, Zeta. That's, that's lucky. Yeah. It's pretty nice, right? Yeah. I would, I would love to live next to my brother. It'd be pretty cool. And I think the, the, the big reason behind it was they grew up in the Roseland area together as kids. I think they, they grew up in, in uh, Zeta's house, didn't they? Like that was their childhood home? Uh, Could have been. Yeah, I think because she had the husband, so the sister moved out, but Zeta lived in their childhood home, and I think that's why she purchased that property to begin with, was to be next to the family property. It makes sense. Yeah. 
And on June 24, 1983, Pete and Jean Haas, who were their neighbors, left home to get some scoops of ice cream around 6 to 7 p.m. And as they drove past the Bloom House, they saw the sisters outside washing their car and honked their horn at them in a neighborly fashion. Richard, can you calm down just a little bit, buddy? Yeah, easy, easy, bud. No one's no, dying yet. All right. There he goes. Thank you. Thank oh, you, Richard, nice. for settling down. Whew. Blown out some eardrums there, Richard. I appreciate the uh, compassion. Now, later that night, and even into the dusk hours, neighbors had started hearing gunshots. And although normally this would be a red flag for a white person like me living in suburban Southern California, this was somewhat of a common occurrence out there in the countryside. Yeah, and so that makes sense. Yeah, no, no one paid much attention to it. it. You know, a lot of the residents not, would wait, be out. I would think gunshots in California are like normal. Okay, normal and okay are different things. Yeah. <laughs> if I lived in South Central, maybe. I don't. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Talk about that. Ooh. In Emily's episode. Excuse me, another story. Yeah. Uh, what I'm saying is us white people living in white people areas, like Yorba Linda <laughs> and stuff, you hear gunshots, you're like, were those fireworks? <laughs> Someone letting off at Nah. You run to the neighborhood page. Yeah. Yeah, no, everyone does. That's the funny thing. <laughs> everyone hey, did anyone hear I'm, did anyone hear gunshots? Like no, those I'm were surprised. Fire, those are fireworks, Betty, you idiot. <laughs> I'm surprised they care about gunshots. It says if there's not a dog loose, are they really gonna post anything? It's always yeah. gunshots, fireworks, or there's seventeen thousand dogs loose. Or or yeah, your dog's hey, out of my yard. My dog, your dog's on my yard again, Russell. Hey, there was a car parked outside my driveway, and I don't recognize it. Yeah, they were. I got a new right. car, Betty. Right, Lori. <laughs> Betty, I got a new car. Hey, Lori, relax. It's a rental. <laughs> oh, gosh. But yeah, in but. This this is still a white people area that you're talking about in Joliet. Yeah, so yeah, but this is they're different types of white people. They're the uh, they have is, like gun ranges in their backyard. White people. This is countryside white people. Yeah, Midwest. This, this is Texas white people. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You got a shooting range in your backyard, and even one of the nearby like a sheriff that lived nearby even had his own shooting range. So like, oh, yeah, it's fine. No, no, no. I hear gunshots. Yeah, gunshots. What, what, what yeah, it's whatever. Yeah, no, they're practicing. They're shooting. That's just Jimmy John. Yeah. It's just a Tuesday before school. Mm-hmm. Now, that was until sunrise when the neighbors realized something was amiss. And the East Joliet Volunteer Fire Department was called as smoke had started to rise over the Bloom House. Jean House was awoken by the mail delivery lady honking her horn saying that the bloom house was on fire and recalled seeing the massive plume of smoke rising from the house as jean house and her husband arrived at nora's house jean's husband pete ran into the flames and jean went next door to alert her sister zeta that nora's house was on fire when jean approached zeta's house she noticed that the back door had been kicked in and even though she had a deadbolt locking the door, as she entered the residence, Zeta was nowhere to be found. Jean ran back next door and was met by her husband telling her, 
do not go in there. I found the sisters. Mm. By 8.20 a.m., the fire brigade had arrived and started to douse the raging fire and managed to contain the fire to one of the back bedrooms. As the smoke started to clear, detectives arrived to survey the scene. One of those detectives, Dave Simpson, remembers one of the volunteer firefighters telling him he had something bizarre to show him. The firefighter guided him to the back bedroom that had been previously engulfed in flames, and that is where they found the charred remains of the Bloom sisters. Even though the bodies were burned severely, detectives could tell that both sisters had been beaten before their deaths and were shot assassination style at close range. Detectives also determined that this brutal murder had started next door at Zeta's house based on the blood spatter found at the house. It was then determined that Zeta was brutally murdered and then either dragged or carried to her sister's house before Nora met the same fate. Now the killer trying to cover their tracks then set the bedroom on fire hoping to destroy any evidence linking them to the crime. Jean House was baffled by the crime and couldn't understand why someone would do such a thing to these sweet sisters. And even more horrific was the way the bodies were found. The sisters were stacked on top of each other in what is known as a 69 position. What the fuck? And to make this crime even more atrocious was that one of the sisters had a turkey baster shoved into her vagina. Um. <clears throat> and again, if y'all did not heed the trigger warning in the beginning, I apologize. Um, because this is just the beginning of the mayhem that would occur in the summer of 83. So he's, this is his starting point? Yes. Just, oh my God. Uh, it, so I, I don't even know what to say. Like it, I, 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 I'm lost. I have a loss for words. I don't know. Trust me. That trying, is brutal. Writing this was very difficult. Yeah. So these two, I guess, how did, tell me how, how did they get, how did he know the sisters live next to each other? This killer. Happenstance? Like, what happened? I don't, okay. Well, I, I, I guess go on. Tell me what happened because I'm having a hard time understanding. What the fuck? Yeah. Why? Why was it so necessary? Why was it necessary to be this brutal? Like, why? And I, I, I assume that the position, positioning was on purpose to make make the scene worse i can imagine that would be the reasoning i guess There's, i don't know man it, i'm at a loss that's insane yeah it is very insane so tell, tell me what happened i need to understand so the killer first entered the house of zeta bloom and broke open the door with such force it took the door jam off the wall holy shit Authorities found that the house was ransacked with newspapers thrown everywhere. They found one of the sisters' dentures on the kitchen counter and saw that telephone handle had bloodstains on it. Now, during the sisters' autopsies, it revealed just how brutal the murders were. 
Nora Bloom was stabbed three times in the neck, suffered a skull fracture, had a gunshot wound, and from the heat of the fire, it burned away her left foot and her entire right leg. Damn. Her face was charred beyond recognition, and most of her hair had been singed off. She also happened to be the sister that was violated with the turkey baster. Zeta Bloom had suffered a gunshot wound to her abdomen, and then the two sisters were positioned on top of each other, and then the house was set on fire. Does that mean she was alive when she was on fire? They were saying both of them were probably dead before... um, The fire actually took hold? Yeah. Yeah. The gunshot wound killed... Yeah, they're saying the gunshot wound killed That's not good. That's not good, but, you know, at least they weren't shot and being burned alive. Correct. Yeah. Nora was stabbed to death and Zeta was shot. And then they were dead, positioned the bodies, and then burned the room that they were in. In the weeks to come, friends and loved ones of the Bloom sisters came to mourn their death and were left with a lot of questions unanswered. Why them? And why were they murdered so brutally and then burned? Jean House had trouble trying to figure out those questions as well. There are seven driveways on this street at the time, and they picked that one. Why that one? I was worried the killer might come back, but my husband Pete said, Well, Jean, you, you know, the perpetrator never comes back to the crime scene, so this is probably the safest place in Joliet. That's so false. We know they always that. go back. We know that. They don't. Bless their hearts. We study this. Um, I do like uh, the part that I heard in the book about this. I do like how the investigators, I guess, were like, did they piss somebody off who was coming down the street? Like, yeah. you know, that Zeta has that Zeta has a mouth on her now. Yeah. She'll, you know, she'll, she'll tell someone what for, you know. Yeah, yeah. She'll and yell you. You're parking the wrong driveway. She's going to tell you what for. <laughs> So, you know, they were really like, who did, who could she have pissed off this time? You know, how she must have really pissed them off this time. And it was just like, are you really trying to blame her? Like, are you, re- is this really what's happening? You're like, what? Well, she was probably asking for it. You know, she does have a mouth on her. The mindset they were- though is they probably just don't know. There's no other explanation. So they're trying to, oh, yeah. This rent- anything. It- in any any case we've done, random murders are the absolute worst when there's no connection to the killer at all. Uh, because usually, I was about to say, something this brutal is usually personal. Like, he, they, the, the desecration of the body, you know, with the turkey baster specifically, is usually like a hate. Like, I, I hate this woman. It's personal. Making but a, when it's, yeah, making a point. Making a point, right? But when there's no explanation at all, like, it, it's harder to investigate first of all and straight up scarier because there there's no uh like specific reason she was chosen so it's not like oh she's going like um like the summer summer of sam like they kept saying like they're going after uh brown-headed girls or something like that so everyone changed their hair to blonde or it might have been vice versa but you get the point like there's no specific like there's no reasoning behind it so it's it's scary like the scarier because murder of uh Nola. Nolens. Nolens. They don't play jazz music. I'm going to kill y'all. They all play jazz music. 
plus they were they were all uh grocery store owners so yeah. you know if you're a grocery store owner, i'd be afraid at that time but this there's literally no explanation at all none it wasn't a random killing oh it, it was. was it was but it's not a oh <clears throat> two people got shot dead in the alleyway in xyz city right it's like oh, they okay. broke into their home yeah this was a deadbolted door. A deadbolted door was busted through. Busted, killed, dragged into her sister's house, murdered, put in a 69 position, shoved a turkey baster up her vagina, and then lit the fucking room on fire. Yeah. Very vicious and it's very um graphic for that too, but also just for like a rando, um, you know. It's and it's like you fucking, said, scarier. Fucking psychopath. Because no one knows like you could say, oh, well, it happened because of this. So we don't have anything to worry about. But nope, no one knows why. So everyone has to worry. Makes it worse. Got to be terrifying. Very. Now, one week later, Eric Johnson, who had just started a steady job at the Andrew Corporation in nearby Orland Park, which Andrew Corporation was a manufacturing plant for radio equipment, like antennas, repeaters, that type of thing. You get the gist. Mm -hmm. Yep. And was heading home in his red Chevy pickup from work after his 3 to 11 p.m. shift and made it home around midnight. He found his nephew still watching his almost one-year-old son. Now his wife, 20-year-old Terry Lynn, was still not home after she had gone out with one of her girlfriends. And this was not unusual to Eric as his wife liked to frequent the local bar. So he stayed up a couple hours with his nephew before finally turning in around 3 a.m. When he woke up later that morning, uh, he noticed his wife had still not returned after her night out. And again, not unusual for her, just not just because she was a barfly, but also because she had been unfaithful to Eric in the past. And he figured uh, she probably went home with some locals from the bar. At around noon, he started to drive around Lockport, the nearby historic port city, where the nearby watering hole, the Moose Lodge, was located. Which I'm assuming is probably like the Elk Lodge, like those lodges, like the Moose Lodge, the Elk think, Lodge. You think it's a, uh, what are they called, a Shriner? Yeah. Wait, what? Was it called? Elk Lodges are Shriners, right? What's the, sure? What's the Shriner? Lodge. Uh, there's the Moose Lodge, Elks Lodge. Yeah, they're like um, Colts. Shriners are... Joppa Shriners. I've never... I think that's a completely different thing. It's like just a men's Oh, yeah, group. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking that's what it is, but I don't know. I don't live out there. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Well, I know that. Like the VFW kind of thing. Yeah. Me, veterans of foreign wars. I've been in plenty of Elks Lodges. I don't know about a Moose Lodge. I think that's maybe... just their, their version. Of, I think they're being no, clever. I like, don't. oh, we got a lot of moose around here. Yeah. No, I think that that's like the same thing, maybe, but a different. I know, but someone could be like, hey, I'm going to open same, up a same. bar called, called the, the Moose Lodge. Of moose. That's what it is. <laughs> Get the f nice. fuck out of here with that. There's one down the road from us. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Yeah. I'm sure there's Used plenty to play bingo out there. there with my grandma. Sure, there's plenty. On Gay Road. Well, Eric went out looking for her, and he found her blue Dodge van still parked across the street from the Moose Lodge. 
and then proceeded to drive to his mom's house where he gathered some relatives to start searching for the area. For her in the area. I said that fucking weird. You said that weird. I said that very weird. Now, after a fruitless five-hour search, he finally filed a missing persons report with the Will County Sheriff's at 5 p.m. And again, it wasn't necessarily strange that she hadn't made it home yet, but today, Saturday, July 2nd, was their son's first birthday, and he knew she wouldn't miss it. Terry Lynn was known around the Lockport area because she worked at the White Hen Pantry since she was 16 years old. And the White Pen, the White Hen Pantry is like a convenient, it's a chain of convenience stores that I think are now since closed. Um, yeah, I think I looked it up and they're all closed. Um, but many in the area knew her as Athena McCall. She had a nickname. She had moved to Florida because she got married and then ran away from her husband when she was young, I think 16, and used the name Athena McCall. In any case, she was about five foot four, weighed about 120 pounds, with hazel eyes and dark brown hair. One of Eric Johnson's friends, a former police officer in the nearby small town of Lamont, began the search for Terry and believed he saw her traveling in her blue van around 7 a.m. that Saturday morning, and she was traveling through the downtown Lockport area. Now, it was strange to the former officer when he had honked at the passing blue van because he recognized it, and it was one of those friendly honks, but the person driving did not honk back. Now, as July 4th approached, authorities were still searching for Terry Lynn, and now they had another missing person, Kenny Chancellor, who was a dock man at Midwest Tinkerman. Authorities interviewed the wife, Anna, and she remembers on July 1st, she and her friend were pulling into their driveway as they saw Kenny pulling out in her black Pontiac Bonneville. Which sounds pretty cool. Pontiac Bonneville? Pontiac Bonneville. I think Pontiacs were really cool back in the day. I was like 12 and I used to drive my mom's Pontiac Grand Am. <laughs> Grand Ams were pretty cool. My neighbor had a Pontiac GT. I don't know what that is. Oh, wait, okay. yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, that okay. is cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, after she realized Kenny was heading out for the night, she, knowing he was a womanizer said fuck it we're gonna go out and start looking at houses for another couple hours when she woke up the next morning kenny was still not home and she was not happy about it she knew that kenny always had his work pager on and was known for always answering a page so after numerous attempts at paging him with no phone call in return she called the illinois state police who told her sorry not our problem (laughs) Sorry. He's Canadian? Yeah. <laughs> it's close enough. Sorry. Hey. Not our problem. Call the Will County Sheriff's Office and you can report him missing to them. After Dang. Yeah. Like can you imagine oh. that? Can you imagine that though? <laughs> like nowadays? Just calling the police like, no. hey, um I need to report my husband husband missing. Uh yeah, we can't help you with that. It's actually, it happens commonly all the time now, still. 
can't report an adult missing until they've been missing for over 24 I, hours. I think that's, I genuinely think that's a myth. No, it's not. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you call a department saying, hey, I need to report my husband missing. Yeah, we can't help you with that. You got to call these people. Hmm. What? So you can't cut out the middleman and just call them for me? Help me out here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've done that a couple times. I reported someone for a DUI, and I was in the border of Riverside County Sheriff, San Bernardino County Sheriff, and Riverside PD. And when I called 911 to report the DUI, I went to CHP, and I told them where I was at. And they're like, oh, let me forward you to uh, Riverside County Sheriff. And so they forward me to the sheriff's. And I told them, no, like, let me forward you to the like, nope. yeah. like, nope, that's not our area. I'm going to forward you to the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Office. And they forward me, and like, nope, that's not our area. I'm going to forward you to Riverside PD. And Riverside that's PD how you're saying that's the, to me. So you're saying that that where that street you're on is like the perfect place to commit a crime because oh, you just will never get anybody. It was the Bermuda Triangle. That you happens wanna, here where we live in our neighborhood. You want to murder in, someone? Oh, that's that's true. Go to go Van Biloxi Line. Yeah, go to Van Buren and what was the intersection? It was at the uh, Citrus Groves. You'll get mm -hmm. away with it, hundred percent. Good to know. Good to know. Hundred <laughs> percent. Let me jot. Let me jot that down real quick. Mm -hmm. Hold on. Yeah, next time you're All in right. the area. And Buren, got it. All right, let's go. All right. Now, after meeting with the Will County Sheriff's, giving them the description and license plate to her Bonneville, there was actually a breakthrough. Ooh. The car was in nearby Cook County and had been towed to Freddy's Towing after being found abandoned by some railroad tracks in a remote woodland area. Anna and her friend immediately went to the location of where the tow occurred, trying to find any clues to her husband's whereabouts. Them knowing there were multiple bars nearby, they decided to ask the bartenders if they had seen Kenny around. No luck. Anna and her friend went back to the tow yard on Sunday where an employee of Freddy's Towing gave them access to the impounded vehicle. And it was strange to Anna that the car had no damage on it and wondered why it had been abandoned. You know, why did they tow this car? Yeah, and I... Well, you know so you why, just find it, but no, 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 no. I'm questioning the. We know what happens, but I'm questioning the people who towed it and didn't ask questions. Like, is it? Would this be a common occurrence? Like, oh, there's another car on the tracks because wasn't it like half on the track or something like that? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, there so was what, there was a storm that had, uh, that was coming through. I think it was like midway through, and they were getting a lot of stranded motorists um in the the flooding and so mm -hmm. they thought like oh this car was trying to get away from the flooding got stuck on the oh, tracks okay okay that makes more sense they, i thought they were just being negligent no no no. it was stuck on the tracks and they're like hey we gotta a tow it immediately because it's gonna cause a hazard to any uh trains that come through and you can't have that train yard runs like their economy so mm -hmm. so that was the reason for the tow okay okay that makes that makes sense and i didn't know that she shows up, looks at the car, and like, there's no damage. Like, why did they tow this car? And so she requested that the employee open the trunk to see if Kenny's body was inside. But the only thing Anna found was an overnight bag with some clothes and toiletries and a large box of condoms. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. You have to make a, you, okay, it was unopened, to be fair. It was. 
It was unopened. It's prep. That's not even okay. That's not the questionable bit. Condoms or whatever. Tell them about the next part, Will. What else do they find in there? <laughs> Sorry, I was looking at something else. Uh, oh, in the car, mm-hmm. the note. Yeah, written to her husband from a woman named Athena. That's not his wife's name. No. Do you remember who was nicknamed Athena? Yeah, I do. Do you? Yeah, do you? Yeah, I, I'm making making sure you know. I do know. I, I know. I know the answer to this. Okay. What was her name? Who's that grocery girl? Okay. The grow cry. Mm. <laughs> Emily, what, girl. what was her name? Um, I'm looking. <laughs> Go scroll back up. <laughs> I am. Scroll back up. Um, give you a hint. It starts with a T. Don't you dare say it. Oh yeah. Um, Terry Lynn. Damn it! I was just about to get there. <laughs> yeah. There it is. Twenty-year-old Terry Lynn. Mm-hmm. Up by Athena. Looky, looky. Athena McCall. Uh huh. And on the back of that note, she saw splatters of blood. Oh shit! And then also noticed that the floorboard also contained blood droplets in the back seat of the bonneville they found kenny's jacket and the car keys now i don't know i guess in a moment of pity the tow service said hey we'll take you to the location of where the car was towed and the area that they took him to was pretty secluded you know it was railroad tracks and woodlands and it was known to be a lover's lane down the middle of nowhere. Now the group began their search, but only turned up a shirt and nothing else. Defeated, they went to a local coffee shop that just so happened to be run by a police sergeant. And after the sergeant heard about the story of Kenny's disappearance, he agreed to help search the area And with Kenny's brother-in-law in in hand, they went back to the railroad tracks to turn up any clues. Now, this is when they made the gruesome discovery of Kenny's body. How everyone else missed it in the first place, I don't know. They weren't cops, I guess. The body was found in some tall weeds laying on his back, and it was noted that rigor mortis had already set in. There was also no defensive wounds found on the body, and in total, 30 hours had elapsed from the seizure of the car to the discovery of the body. And police asked the wife if she knew about anyone that he was seeing or why he would have been there. She denied any claims that he was seeing anyone else, even though she probably knew the truth. Police would canvass the nearby hotels knowing that an overnight bag of clothes had been found in the Bonneville, yet all the local no-tell motels said Kenny had not made any reservations or stayed there recently. Police then checked in with nearby bars until they landed upon the brew and shoe. The bartender knew Athena and said she had been sitting at the end of the bar drinking screwdrivers until a man showed up and joined her. Police showed the bartender a picture of Kenny and the bartender identified him as a stranger that joined her who was drinking Bacardi and Cola. On July 2nd, a couple reported to police that they had found a purse on the side of the road. This is in the main town. Now, Mm -hmm. police searched the purse 
located the driver's license, and saw that the owner of the missing purse was Terry Lynn Johnson. Yeah. On July 4th, the police had intensified their search for the missing persons. After reviewing the shirt that they had found along the railroad tracks, it was determined that it belonged to Terry. So Sergeant Tom Hernandez began a more thorough search of the railroad tracks and the surrounding area. After an intense three-day search, they found Terry. She was located in a drainage ditch nearby, found on her back. Legs were spread and her breasts exposed. And although her pants were unbuttoned, the zipper was up. Police then summoned Eric to the scene to identify the body, and he confirmed that indeed it was his wife's missing body. The next day, the autopsy was performed on Terry Lynn's body, and they saw that she had an entrance wound to her back that had exited her left breast. She also had suffered 11 lacerations to her head and had a skull fracture. And upon further examination of both Terry Lynn and Kenny's bodies, the pathologist made a shocking discovery. Both victims were killed with a single bullet. The bullet had passed through Terry and struck Kenny in the chest, penetrating his heart before lodging in his hip. It was determined that the caliber had to either be a 38 or a 357. And things started to click. Now, earlier in the 70s, there happened to be a rape in Pilcher Park where the killer, the rapist, stated that he was going to kill both victims with one shotgun blast. Now, after authorities concluded their investigation, they ruled out that both spouses had any involvement in the double murders. Yeah, that um, I don't know who it was. It was a news journalist uh, or or newspaper anyway and they had made that like observation like man this sounds eerily similar to this rape slash attempted murder that happened in the 70s and like they say that in there when this first happened like the very next day the article's like yeah this if you guys remember 13 years ago there was something that happened similarly but that's as far as that went yeah because it didn't it was yeah it was because it wasn't an actual murder it was a yeah, hey, brutal, brutal. I'm gonna, rape. I'm gonna kill both of you with a shotgun blast, and now they found yeah, he, two bodies that were killed with one bullet, and they're like, hmm, yeah. similar in area. Yeah, in that 1970s case, he had actually said that the rapist had actually said, "You guys line up. I'm going to shoot you, kill you with one pull of the trigger." Yeah, but that one didn't end in. That's as far as they went way. with that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just that's like a, they, it's like, hey. Hey, that's just, hey. that sounds really familiar. You know, I don't know if you guys knew this, but back in the 1970s, hey. this kind of happened before. Guys Imagine if they'd done a field interview and had it registered and put in NCIC when it became available. Well, maybe. This was 1970. But I said when it became available. Hey, spoiler alert, we talk about it. <laughs> now... Although the Joliet area had suffered murders on two back-to-back weekends in the summer, 
dude, Summer was in full tilt. Yeah. And that wasn't going mean, to stop. Not only two brutal ass murders and someone like an attempted murder. <laughs> yeah. Very... And they're like, nah, we're going to party still. Yeah. People are going to still, they were going to enjoy their summer. I don't know how. This was one of the hottest summers on record in the Chicago area. Well, they got a bunch of, at, at least in that area, it's nice because they have a bunch of uh, rivers and stuff. So a lot of people like to go like doing lazy river shit. Yeah, summer shit's not for me, dude. You guys can keep it. Yeah. Well, you're in Mississippi, That's so. That's an understatement. Yeah. You know, I've, I've told, I made the joke many times. You know how people get like seasonal depression in like Portland or whatever when it's cloudy all the time? I get seasonal depression in the summer when the sun's out and won't stop. When it's above 75 degrees? Yeah, pretty much anything above 75 degrees, and I just hate everything. Oh, just crack a beer and carry on, dude. What year was this again right now? 83. 83. Okay, so NCIS was available. <laughs> Very good, Emily. Very good. <laughs> oh, NCIS was available? That that was in the making, but NCIC uh, was. The fuck is NCIC? National. I don't, I don't it's know. It's a National Computer in, uh, Information Center, or National Crime Information Center, where hmm. you can communicate with other departments and no computerized systems to... Or back then, probably not that much. But in 1967, it was started so police departments could take records of incidents like this and compare them to other incidents that may or may not have happened. They may have had this. They may have had this system. No, no, okay, that's what I'm saying. It may have been there, but did they use it? I mean, think about um, Richard Ramirez. Everyone knows that guy, right? Um, He killed in Los Angeles, a bigger metropolitan area in 84 to 86, I think. And the just the different counties refused to talk to each other. That's how he got away with shit for so long. That's what I'm saying. So they would have done these things, just like we were saying earlier, the people who were there on the side of the road, taking a field interview, that would have been a start. No, it's not illegal to be on the side of the road during a crime, but you were there and yes, something but, may have come back yeah. later to happen. The thing with them is probably like, how much work do I have to do to put this into the NCIC versus just being like, ah, get the fuck, yeah, out. Get, the fuck, yeah, get the fuck out of here, you idiot. was not easily accessible. It's laziness versus thoroughness. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. You know what I'm talking about. You work in healthcare. Yeah. It's the same. Law enforcement and healthcare hand in hand. Laziness versus thoroughness. Anyways, yes, guys are calling all kinds of people out right now. <laughs> I digress. Now, Ann Shoemaker, age 19, was one of those residents who wasn't gonna let those murders ruin her summer. She was attending a party that Saturday night and decided to go on a walk with her friend. She had just broken up with her boyfriend and needed to vent. As they were walking down Bruce Road, a dark truck whizzed past them. She noticed that there only seemed to be one driver as the truck drove off into the distance. And later she sat down with her friend and she started talking about things. A couple minutes later, they noticed the truck had turned around and was now heading back their way. So they quickly ducked into a nearby ditch and waited for the truck to pass. Startled by this encounter, they sprinted back to the house party. And after some thought, Anne decided, man, it's got to be a friend of theirs trying to pull a prank on them. 
So her and her friend, they hopped in a car and followed the truck. They pulled down a side road, cut out their lights, and waited for the truck to return. After a while, they got bored and started to drive back when they saw the brake lights illuminate on the truck after cresting a hill. So once again, they pulled down a nearby street and waited for the truck to pass. Once again, they got bored. The truck did not appear. On their way back, they suddenly saw headlights and the truck was accelerating towards them. So they quickly pulled into a nearby friend's house and after telling their friends about the truck that had been following, they looked towards the driveway and saw the truck slowly pull up. A couple minutes later, the truck peeled out and so they all piled into the car and gave chase. And after briefly losing sight of the truck, they saw it once again, but this time it was pulled off to the side of the road and there was a man standing outside of it. They described him as a black man about five foot nine and roughly 200 pounds. He was wearing a red and black flannel and had a short afro, but because of the darkness, they couldn't get a good look at his face. Anne pulled out a note and started jotting down information. The description of the truck, which was a black or blue Chevy with a cap or what we know as a camper shell, as well as a license plate, 8899 30 Bravo. Anne's encounter with the truck would not be reported until after more murders had occurred. Good for her. I took this very, I don't know, that aggravated me so badly. Why? Why? That you wouldn't immediately report it if you were so, like, unsure and suspicious of the information to jot it down you were worried you were scared whatever didn't know the dude but you didn't say anything i guess i can see your point she took enough interest or or was scared enough to pull out a notepad and, and jot, jot down the license plate number yeah. like most people but can't I mean, think if you're panicking you don't think to remember something like that but she had the wherewithal to take out notes like a notepad and pen and write it down but didn't immediately do something with that information i mean kind of immediately for i mean it was just one more week and she reported it yeah. what you should be pissed off about is when she reported it no one gave a fuck yeah that's that's what you should be pissed off about not her reaction to it the, the cop's reaction to that information you could be pissed off at so many people that are like oh yeah i remember seeing that car didn't say anything about it yeah dude i I think I have internal thoughts about this because since we started doing this, I'm thinking like, man, should I have taken a note of that or should I just mind my own fucking business? Like, you know what I mean? I have this like duality inside like, man, if I would not be a good witness, I don't know what I'm looking at. You know what I mean? I would be almost scared to tell someone like my version. I'm like, I don't know if I saw something wrong and get someone else in trouble. You know, like I'm I'm not a trustworthy. My brain cannot be trusted. I... I think working in EMS uh, helps with this, but I am very aware of what's going on around me. And I'll give a very, very short uh, story of what happened at the 7-Eleven down the street from my house. So I pulled in, I parked into the spot, and I noticed the car next to me. 
with the engine running. And as I got out, I saw a female driver who was slumped over and she had her phone in her hand. And I'm like, oh, okay, she's just texting or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. A couple of minutes later, I come back out of the 7-Eleven. As I pass the car, I look. She's in the exact same position with the phone in her hand. And so being just being curious, I look in the passenger window and I'm like looking at her and there's no movement. Like she's not moving her finger. She's not watching a video, just her phone. And so then I go and ask the clerk like, hey, how long has this, this truck been here? And they're like, ah, oh, we have no idea. I'm like, oh, okay. In any normal circumstance, I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'm out. Just drive away. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh man, something's, something's weird. So I knock on the driver's window and she like, startles like sits up and i'm like hey are you okay it's like, oh yeah uh, i was running out of gas and blah 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 blah. And i'm like oh man <clears throat> should i call the police or do i let it go and i debated that for about five minutes i drove up the road and i came back and i was gonna call the cops and the car was gone i i guess in that situation like if you had you know, taken, like, if you were just seeing something and chose not to call, I can understand. But, like, I guess if you felt something in you to, like, you know, I don't know, insert yourself in the situation, then I would feel that it would deem calling. But I can also understand yeah, like a similar the desire like, to not want to be involved. And it's a situation living, like, bum F, Illinois, and dirt roads, and there's just a truck driving around, like, do you take that seriously? I mean, yeah, because I feel like at this point, these people kind of maybe all have some sort of knowledge of their town. It's not that big. It's the, the time it was, summer, everyone's out. Like, it's a dude that's just lost. It's like, I don't know the fuck I'm going out here. I don't know. I'm from Mississippi. <laughs> and I'm in Illinois. I, yeah. Mm. He's going back know. and forth. It's like, hey, these kids, I need to, <laughs> I need directions. Where'd they go? <laughs> just trying to deliver pizza. Hey, fuckers, where'd you go? I need directions. Yeah, it's not what I have. Okay, any case. <laughs> so do you touch on the time frame of that, Anne's encounter? Uh, this was the uh, during the second week end murders. That makes sense? Yeah, just. So the last murders she delays that took place. Reporting regardless. Correct. Correct. Like significantly. Right. This was delays. this was happening. No, one week is not significant delays. It's, it's not okay. So because nothing happened between that time, like so when something happens, she's like, oh yeah, this is probably pertinent information, but I'm not gonna just say it. Like, I, driving erratically is illegal, but it's not like I, I wouldn't call. I don't know. I'm not driving erratically. She's fine. Like, hey, there's a. There's a car that's kind of like, I think they're following us. But she also thought that it was like a party atmosphere. Like, oh, they're probably just fucking with me. I'm not really going to mm -hmm. say anything. But then when something crazy happens, like a murder the very next week, she's like, oh, I probably should tell someone about this. Hey, that truck that they're describing sounds very similar to the truck that I saw. She did fine. Yeah. You cool with that? Okay. I guess. No, but All right. okay. Now, the Wills County, sorry, the Wills, that's me, the Will County <laughs> Sheriff's Office had an auxiliary division, or I guess you can call it a volunteer service. 
I would call it volunteer. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't call it volunteer. They said, you're part of the auxiliary division. And uh, these, I think they, they called them deputies. They had guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, they mostly I helped think- with like traffic control during parades, uh, patrol businesses at night. They were like the security. I guess the security division extra, of the set of eyes. Yeah. It's like, it was more like, more like a deterrent. Like if, you know, if you see a cop car, you're not going to do crime. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. They wouldn't arrest people or like pull people over. They were just more of a presence directed traffic when needed. Um, but they were still a part of the sheriff's office. So they're all deputies. And at night, they mostly encountered stranded motorists or uh, or they happened upon stranded motorists who were very far from civilization out on these back roads. They would help them out, and they would also come across couples looking for a secluded place to do the down and dirty. Now, Sergeant Dennis Foley and Stephen Mayer were part of that division. Foley was 50 and this was his fourth year with the department, and he made it to sergeant. His partner, Mayor, who was 22, was newly married. God, why does his name have to it? sound so close to married? Mayor, married. Uh. Newly married and was very eager to start his career in law enforcement. This was a stepping stone. He was going to college, learning criminal justice, and in the meantime, he was part of the auxiliary division. And on the early morning of July 16th, two lovebirds made their way down a rural dirt road in the Homer Township. Richard Pollen, who's 33, and Kathy Norwood, who is 25. They parked their red Chevy Chevette in some grass near a deserted intersection in the Homer Township. Nearing 3 a.m., Foley and Meyer were approaching that very intersection when they saw a stranger waving at them for help. The deputies pulled over, exited the vehicle to try and help the distressed motorist. Around the same time, Deputy Pat Lombardo, who was a sworn officer, was patrolling in the area when he heard an urgent call for help over the radio near the intersection where Foley and Mayer had stopped for that person in distress. Over the radio, Lombardo heard someone yell in a garbled voice, Send help, please. He hauled ass in that direction. Other deputies also heard the call for help and converged on the location. When they arrived, they found Foley on the ground and began administering first aid. A deputy approached the red Chevy Chevette and saw Paulin slumped over. He had been fatally shot in the back. He then looked around the vehicle and located Kathy lying in the grass nearby. She had also been fatally shot in the back. As the deputies attended to the injured Deputy Foley, who had been shot five times in the abdomen and face, including one shot that went through his throat and jaw, they started looking for Deputy Mayor, who until then they had been unable to locate. After a brief search, they found Mayer fatally shot and lying in a nearby ditch. His gun and wallet had been taken. 
Now, as Lombardo had been racing to this scene, he came across a car on State Street and saw Laura Troutman in a field. She was covered in blood and was running towards one of the local farmhouses where she awoke the owners screaming that she had been shot. The 21-year-old Troutman opted to show the deputy where their Chevy Suburban, who she had been traveling in, had crashed in a nearby bean field. When Lombardo approached the crashed Suburban, he saw a man dead in the front seat, George Keel. Lombardo then started to bandage the wounded girl's gunshot wounds and was told that as they were traveling down the road, a clean-cut white man had darted out into the road and then the gunshots rang out. The bullets had entered the windshield, fatally striking Keel and hitting Troutman in the shoulder and abdomen. As Keel died behind the wheel, the Suburban veered into the field before coming to rest in that bean field, and that's when Troutman went to seek aid. She told Lombardo, please don't shoot me, which was an odd statement to make, and, and Troutman claimed that they had been shot by a Will County Sheriff's officer. Knowing that Troutman was going into shock, he did not question her further, and she was rushed to a nearby hospital for emergency surgery. The deputies had to investigate three separate crime scenes. The Red Chevette, the slain deputy's squad car, and the Suburban that was crashed in the bean field. Foley remained in critical condition in the hospital, and his fellow deputies held out hope that he would survive his injuries. Troutman, however, was healing well, and local newspapers took her account as gospel and, pub and, <clears throat> and published that authorities were looking for two shooters, one of them being a clean-cut white man, which also similarly resembled the slain deputy mayor. The second gunman was described as a black man, mid-30s, short hair, and a dark shirt. Unbeknownst to the local media, who so loved to publish gossip and factless accounts would later find out that there were two credible witnesses to this ambush. Two men happened to be walking further down that same road at about 3.45 a.m., Daniel Birmingham and Burt Thompson. They remembered hearing sirens and then a dark-colored truck flew past them at a high rate of speed. And although they couldn't get the license plate number, they remembered one thing the truck had a camper shell. As authorities started to search for clues to the killer at the three murder sites, they also noticed one thing. Shoe prints. And very distinct ones. Converse, Converse All-Stars. Converse All-Stars. <laughs> I, <don't know> <laughs> I don't know, I couldn't get that out. <laughs> I'm getting all gummy in the mouth right now. Converse All-Stars. They littered the area of the red Chevette and squad car where the victims had been shot down. They also found another peculiar clue, a receipt. And that receipt was from a local fish and bait shop, and the name on the car that was used was Sam Mayers, who lived locally. They would take this piece of evidence and try and link it to the murders. Why would a fresh receipt be found underneath the slain body of Deputy Mayor in that ditch? 
Now some local canoeists who had been floating down the local river had spotted two wallets and a purse that had washed the shore on the bank. After authorities had checked the contents, they found that the wallets belonged to the deputies Foley and Mayer, and the per purse belonged to victim Kathy Norwood. So now authorities were starting to believe robbery was a motive for the killings. Still, to kill, even though they're um, auxiliary officers, to kill officers in general for a robbery does not, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. No. I think I think they may have... He probably got walked up on by these auxiliary officers doing his murdery thing, and that's why they were shot. Well, they got flagged down. The officers did? Yes. Hmm. As they were it's just strange all around, I yeah, guess. So as yeah. they were driving down the road, they were flagged down, so I think... The killer killed the two people and then saw the vehicle approaching. So I was like, oh, this is a squad car. Flagged him down mm. and then lit him up. Damn, either way, brutal. Yes. Yes. Like the brutal killing of citizens, terrible. The brutal killing of law enforcement officers, I'm not saying it's one step above uh, citizens, but that you're taking it to another level. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you, the, to be able to do that, I think, is... I, well, there's a lot more uh, repercussions, I suppose, with that action. So this guy, what you can get from whoever's doing this is that they do not give a fuck. Yeah, it. I think it sends a different message, right? People that go around killing normal citizens who are, <clears throat> for the most part, unable to uh, defend themselves, and then someone that goes along and like assassinates police officers, at, they're ramping the game up. They're taking it a step higher and saying, Oh, you think I can just kill normal people? No, I'm going to kill law enforcement officers who are here to serve and protect and who can defend themselves, not against me. Yeah. That's my thought. Have you guys heard of the Great American Amusement Park? No. Emily? Yeah. You have? I have. Mm -hmm. have you been? Is this Is this still around? actually don't know uh, let me check on that well I've heard of it it's uh, yeah so it, it is no I'm saying I've heard of it <laughs> oh so you're saying yes it's around in any case uh, <clears throat> back there the uh, or back east back there uh, the Great America Amusement Park was a very popular tourist destination. Just like Disneyland or Six Flags out here in Southern California, and instead of Mickey Mouse and that creepy old guy that dances, Great America used Looney Tunes as their mascots. Oh, so it's, it is Six Flags, but it's not. The Six Flags? No, Six yeah. Flags has a Six, creepy Six guy. Six Flags, no, Six Flags is Looney Tunes. Yes, it's Six Flags mm -hmm. Great America. 
Oh, I thought it was a, like, the creepy guy so that likes to dance to the. That was that was the like mid thousands. Oh. There's like diff. That's how they will name them. So like Six Flags. I thought Texas. so. I thought it was Mar- Marriott's Great America. I mean, I don't know what it was in the '80s, but it's Six Flags Great America now. Now, yeah, I think it definitely was called Marriott back in it's the day. In Marriott's Great America. Gurney, Illinois. Any or case, Lake County, Illinois, but yeah, Lake County. Yeah, that's a that's kind of up near them. Mm-hmm. But they used uh, Looney Tunes as their mascots. So I don't know if. All Six, six flags. flags does. Yes, all Six Flags does. That's their thing. Just hmm. like Disney's Mickey and stuff like that. That's their thing. I guess I haven't been to Six Flags in a long time. I don't know. Okay, that. so um, Marriott sold Great America, which were all over the U.S. There's one in California in 1984. Seriously, was just about to say Oh, that. so the year after. So what were they were before? They were they Marriott? They opened in 1976. By the Marriott yeah, Corporation. Uh, so 83, so they the were Santa... Marriott, and then they sold mm, it. 80, in 84. <clears throat> okay. So Santa, Santa Clara Park and the one in Illinois are now called Six Flags Great America. Huh. Yep. So did Six Flags take on Looney T- Yeah, they had to have. Yeah. Okay. Six Flags own, like, bought several amusement parks, and, like, they may not have all been owned by Marriott, but they took mm-hmm. over several amusement parks and that was their thing was there's you know tons of locations it's not like two yeah, Disney, so, Disney World. Well, this was there's this was 83 so great america 83. already used looney tunes and then six flags just carried it on just kinda, yeah they kept it going okay but then now now six flags also uses what dc yes yeah because disney's marvel so yeah they use dc yeah they got, they got like Riddler's the Riddler, revenge yeah Riddler's revenge they got the uh Batman, the flash one freeze the flash one the flash one's actually very scary I used to go like. When was the last time you went? in Texas. Me? Yeah. Me? Oh, I went 2000, right before I left. So 2011? Oh, shit. 2011. Yeah, X2 had just come out. I was 08, I think, when I went. Sorry. California has a great America also. Yeah, it's in Santa Clara. Um, yeah, it's six. But it's also Six Flags. Yeah. Um, but Magic Mountain is what I go to. Or went to. It's not Six Flags, by the way. It's owned by Cedar Entertainment. Cedar Six Flags, Magic Mountain. It's the same thing, right? No. No. No, the one California's in California. Great Clara. America and Santa Clara is owned by Cedar Fair. <clears throat> it's not owned by Six Flags. Oh, this one, this article says that it is. Cedar Fair Entertainment. Hmm. It says that. It was originally uh, owned by. California's Great America, commonly known simply as Great America's 112-acre amusement park located in Santa Clara, California, owned and operated by Cedar Fair. Okay. Hmm. You're right. Is that, the one off, is that the one off the five? I don't remember. Santa six. Clara? I don't know. It yeah. is... Should be the only... Yes, it is off the... So that's Six Flags? No, it's not. Hold on. I don't know. Wait. <laughs> it's... And we're talking a lot about this amusement park. <laughs> Y'all want to hear about amusement parks? <laughs> Love them. Anyways, yeah, we digressed a little too hard on that one. Little digression. No, that's more than a little. <laughs> me equals confusion on Six Flags and fucking whatever else you're talking about. Now, anyways, Saturday, July 16th, Tanya Little and her boyfriend, Tony Hackett, decided to make the three-hour drive to Great America. Spend the day enjoying the roller coasters and doing couples shit. 
They enter. <laughs> Don't sound bitter, dude. I'm not bitter about it. I'll go by myself. <laughs> couple shit. Fucking cute couple shit. Now they entered the park around 2 p.m. and planned to stay until closing around 10. Now, Great America was a memory-making destination, especially if you drive three hours to get there. And because of that, Tony said, hey, we're going to make a memory. He purchased a Tasmanian Devil plush from one of the gift stores. And it probably cost him like 50 bucks, knowing amusement yeah. store prices. Right? Yeah. Well, this is an 83, so it probably was 10 bucks, 10 but bucks. it's equivalent to 50. Yeah. yeah. Inflation. <laughs> yep. So you know that all. Yeah, you can get a corn dog for less. Thanks, Biden. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Sleepy Joe. Now he paid cash and was given a receipt for purchase, which he stashed in his front pocket. Once a couple had left the park, Tony, knowing they were so very close to the Wisconsin border and the age to purchase alcohol was eighteen. What? What? As they were eighteen. Uh, decided Man, to drive up and grab a couple beers. Now, after Why purchasing not? the six pack, why don't you just get like a, <laughs> why you get like a 36? Make it worth your while. Make it worth your while. I yeah. agree. So they just purchased a six pack. Yeah, I got some road beers. <laughs> I don't drink a drive folks. Okay. It's a joke. I drink then drive. Yes. Or I drive and then drink in either case, they're road beers. <laughs> they're kidding we're not um, and after purchasing the six pack they made their way back home but got lost and ended up in Chicago and after orienting themselves finding the correct highway to take them back home they continued their travels at around 1.30am Tony was getting too tired to drive so he had Tanya switch to continue their couple hour journey back home and even after the driver switched, they realized it was still probably unsafe to continue driving. So they pulled over on the southbound I-55 and they were going to sleep it off until sunrise. And then they would continue home. Well, that was the plan until a stranger crept up to their car and shot Tony while he slept. The stranger then forced Tanya into his truck, their truck, and told her to get on the floor. Knowing the stranger had a gun, she tried to avoid eye contact and just stole glances at their face to burn it into her memory. The stranger then told Tanya to sit beside him and they proceeded to drive around for a couple hours. Seeing that it was still dark, Tanya asked the stranger, what time is it? What time is it? I faded off there. <laughs> 4.30, they replied. The stranger then shoved a rag in her mouth and used the rest of it to cover her eyes. When they were about a dozen miles south of Joliet, the stranger proceeded to stab her and she started to lose consciousness. She was pushed out of the truck and collapsed in the median of the highway, left for dead. Roy Tushek was eager to go out fishing and left at the crack of dawn, 5.30 a.m. He wanted to find the best fishing spot before others beat him to it. 
As he was driving down Route 53, he happened to look in his rearview mirror and saw what appeared to be a hand protruding out of the grass median. He immediately doubled back and saw a woman lying in the median. Again, 911 wasn't a thing yet. So he proceeded to wave down a passing motorist to help with this woman in distress. With the help of the Good Samaritan, they put the woman in the back of his car and beat feet to the local police station, knowing that this police station had a volunteer fire service that could render aid. She was in critical condition, and the Good Samaritan raced ahead to let the Wilmington Police Station know that there was an injured woman heading their way and to get the paramedics here pronto. A deputy who had been, been patrolling the area heard the radio call for a person down in the median and headed to the scene. On his way there, he was told that a Good Samaritan had picked up the woman and was heading to the Wilmington Station, so he changed his course. When he arrived at the station, the woman was being loaded to the back of the ambulance, and she was able to give a description of her boyfriend's vehicle, and after she was rushed to the nearby St. Joseph's Hospital, and then the officer returned to where she had been found and started to begin his search. The officer spotted the gold Plymouth on I-55 and pulled up behind it, gun drawn as he was the only officer on scene. As he approached the vehicle, he saw Tony sprawled out on the front seat dead. It was stiff, and there was blood and broken glass strewn about the inside of the car. The officer noticed some fibers, red fibers in particular, both in and outside of the car on the pavement, which was indicative of using a cushion as a makeshift suppressor. Tony was killed with two bullets to the chest and a single bullet to the head. When Tanya arrived at the ER, she was in full arrest, and every life-saving attempt was made. She had dual large-bore IVs in her arms and had a feeding tube in her nose. The detective Meduga met her at the hospital while she was while she was on the surgery table. He knew that he needed to extract as much information as possible from her, as he knew she might not survive, and they needed to find this madman. Tanya, barely able to talk, said that the stranger was a black man, about six foot to six foot two and heavy set. He had a pot belly, but more distinctly, had a strong body odor. She remembered he was wearing a long sleeve blue plaid shirt and jeans, even though it was very muggy that day. Detectives wanted to try and gather enough information to compose a composite sketch of the suspect even though she was in and out of consciousness. Officers on the scene of the murder soon found a Tasmanian devil plush underneath the body of the teen driver. It was determined that the stranger approached the passenger side of the vehicle and shot Tony while he was asleep. They towed the car to a nearby police station for further investigation and looked around the grass median for clues. The only thing they were able to find was a Miller-like can and some smeared blood near the center median. During the surgery, the doctors observed that she had been stabbed in the chest and the knife had pierced her pericardium and entered her liver. The pericardium is a sac surrounding the heart, so it didn't stab her in the heart, just... Just barely missed it. Grazed it, yeah. It then penetrated her pancreas. The stranger had left her to die after that brutal stabbing. 
can we um can we just talk about how crazy it would be to see an arm sticking out of the median like as that person who saw her uh that uh was name ray roy uh the black guy was his Roy oh, uh, Sims. No, no, no. Sims was the black guy. Tuchek oh, okay. was the first one. Flagged down Sims. Sims was the black guy okay. who helped him. Sims was the one that hauled ass. Almost got pulled over by the cops. Mm-hmm. Basically said, "Fuck you! I'm not stopping." Went to the police station yeah. and said, "Hey, there's a white lady coming, and she fucked up." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just I keep thinking like if I had seen because I wasn't in the rearview mirror or. Yeah, he just happened to see it. Yeah, he's so just like, I would. He's just like, like driving, and then like casually looked in his rearview mirror and saw a hand mm-hmm. sticking out of the median. Yeah, I I don't know that I would believe I saw that. You know what I mean? I would be like, nah, that I'm just gonna keep driving. There's no way that's what I think it is. Especially at five thirty no in the morning. Yeah, I would. Just, like, I gotta get to fishing. I would just like freaking like crunch my eye boogers real quick and be like, hold on a second, mm-hmm. what the fuck was that? And then just keep going. That's what. That's crazy oh man just to find like a good thing he did though he did stop so good for him being better than me honestly but um just like to to pull pull over and see not only yes i did see an arm sticking out of the the median but it belongs to a dying woman Mm -hmm. oh he he, just he saved her life absolutely if he if he would have drove past and not stopped she would have been dead yeah, absolutely. Y'all ready for the next one? This one sucks. Yeah. This one really sucks. Ready. All right. So the local ceramic shop is called Greenware by Mary. And it was a popular shop for those looking to purchase ceramics and also those that wanted to learn about the trade. It was normally a pretty busy attraction for the locals who love ceramics. And on August 20th, 1983, Pamela Ryan and her friend Barbara Dunbar jumped into the red blazer and headed to the ceramic shop to spend a day perusing the numerous amounts of ceramics available and gather supplies. Now, during the day, a number of local townsfolk had passed by the ceramic shop and not noticing any cars in the parking lot thought, Yeah, we'll come back another time. At about noon, Edna Hawk, who was passing the pottery shop, and seeing that it appeared to be empty, poked her head in and called for the owner. Not getting a response, she flagged down some local deputies, and fearing that the shop was being burglarized, the deputies approached cautiously and entered through the rear doors of the business. They stumbled upon the first body, a woman with light shorts, pink blouse, gold rim glasses, and they found that her hands had been tied behind her back. She was bleeding profusely from her chest and had blood coming from her mouth. Close by was another woman with gray hair and a pink and purple house dress on. She was on the she on the other hand was not tied up but in the same fashion was bleeding from her chest and mouth. On the south side of the property, a third body was found. A brown-haired woman with a red tube top and jeans. She was bound and gagged and again was 
bleeding from her chest and mouth. Near the bathroom of the business was the fourth and final victim. Bound and gagged, lying dead in a pool of her own blood. Police immediately requested the assistance of more deputies and radioed for the coroner. There were four bodies needing to go to the morgue. Upon investigation, Anna Ryan was the only victim who had been shot. All four of the victims had been stabbed repeatedly in the chest, and yet there was no evidence of sexual assault. The murderer had also stolen all the victims' purses and took off in that red Chevy Blazer that was parked in the lot. Damn. <sighs> it's this would be confusing because the other uh, attacks were all involved um, sexual assault. So I, mm-hmm. as a for me as a detective or officer in this case, I wouldn't necessarily think they were linked yeah no it wouldn't be a uh one of those red flags just i mean it would be a red flag like holy shit there's four dead people here but you wouldn't uh connect the dots to the other murders based on uh evidence that was found you know i think differently but maybe that's because i'm a female well what do you think I do think that I would connect them. Murders are a dime a dozen, but the sexual assault aspect of them to me would make them all stand out and make me think that they were connected. Well, that's what I'm saying. This one the, does there not, was no sexual assault. Yeah, this one, there's no. no evidence, so it would separate itself from the previous murders that took place. But it was in a public place, so I guess I would have, I don't know, I guess... I must be thinking further into it, I guess. You're putting thoughts into your own head, ma'am. No, I'm just thinking like if that were, it wasn't, they weren't all like in a public setting. So where it would have been possibly easy to get caught, there was maybe a timing worry, like, you know, it was a rush kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I just would have, planted that further in my head that it would have happened possibly if it wasn't where the location actually was. It wasn't like at a business or something that someone could have walked in or whatever. Oh, so you're saying that he <laughs> would have sexually assaulted them if he didn't, maybe someone did walk in on him or he got scared? Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I got really confused. Like, I'm like, yeah. but, it, it, but I'm like, it wasn't a public building. Yeah, I think. She, yeah, I understand. Like, yeah, everywhere else yeah. is like countryside or someone's house versus a business on a major road. Yeah, anyone could walk in at any moment. Yeah, but then again, they killed four fucking people in one shop. Yeah, that's insane. And only one of them, only one of them was shot. That's that must have been a brutal attack. <sighs> and they said it had to have been with like a machete style knife, right? Like that's how big the cuts were. Uh, well, I mean, if you think about um, the previous victim and her stab wound going through her pericardium into her liver and then her pancreas, think of that distance through your chest. So yes, it was a pretty large knife. Just think though, how much force and how long it takes to stab 
43 times. Damn. Yeah, you're going to be winded. That's 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 a lot of time. You Yes. <laughs> Just go ahead that's, and That's un, that's unnecessary is all I, I'm thinking like it's Go ahead and grab a knife. Again, and then go grab a, a, a honey baked ham and stab it 43 times and let me know if you're not winded. I can barely do chest compressions for a minute. So there's no way I could do that for even two or three steps. It's a yep. lot of work. Well, I guess good, good thing this guy was in shape. <laughs> Pot belly. It seemed just, <clears throat> seemed just angry, but, uh, yeah, no. yeah, that's he, what anger does this guy have? Like what? I don't know. He's so angry. Like it, it like again, like, if you go by statistics of what we know of killers or murders, I guess specifically, usually the more brutal ones are people, you know, it's personal. Why does this look personal when he doesn't know, you know, he doesn't know any of these people. Yeah. When they're it's random. Crazy. Killings, he's they're so much. So yeah. They're brutal. random. Yeah. That's another thing that I was saying about like the timing. He didn't have enough time. Is he may not have expected four people and didn't have time to do what he wanted so especially after spending however long it took to stab 43 times that's that's also true that's a good point um he he didn't expect i um, think because two of them are related right mother and daughter maybe mother he expected mother-in-law yeah. and daughter-in-law yeah so he probably expected them and he could handle two but when these uh patrons were in the store he's like well i guess i'm just stabbing 43 times instead of raping this time but either either way, even I, if he I think had, was, I think it was sexually assaulted well, he, them. She went, they weren't even the owner, so like he, he had to expect at least one person the owner. Yeah, he should have known at least Mary, the Marilyn owner was going to be there. Yeah, and then mm. I think the two that showed up were a surprise, and then the third one that showed up was the fourth one. I guess. Okay, well then that that brings up a whole different fucked up perspective. What made this guy who was brutally viciously attacking these women what made him just like oh look at his shop i'm just gonna walk in there he probably knew it was like an old lady thing like there was no cars out front just like um what's her face uh driving by didn't see any cars thought she'd pop in he was like probably thinking yeah i know this one lady works there owns this place she's probably in there alone there's no cars i'm gonna go in there killer and rape her but then whoop there's some people in there so now you know he didn't have enough time to do what he wanted and then shit there's a fourth person now so yeah. got to shoot one of them because well, I don't probably, have time to probably stop went in there. Yeah, he probably went in there for the owner, knowing like <laughs> ceramic shop. Who's coming? It's like it's like going through a Joanne's. It's like how many people are here? And then realize, uh, yeah, like, I guess. Oh shit! There's to, actually people here. Emily's point though, she's probably like it was probably considered because it seems random if you don't know the people. It seems completely like oh, oh yeah, there's sure. a shop. I'm gonna walk in there. So to Emily's point, I think she's right. It, little ladies little old ladies go to the ceramic shop so there's no power there that no one can overpower him there so easy kill i guess to put it crudely no you know, i agree simple yeah i think he was just looking for the thrill of the kill and not didn't want anybody fighting back yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's like oh ceramic shop Psst. fish in a barrel yeah so now, following this brutal murder of four innocent women in the ceramic shop, tips started to pour in 
and authorities were busy investigating all the leads. Now, most of these leads were dead ends and provided little to no further information into the murders. And by mid-September, authorities had still not found the suspect responsible for the summer murders and started to investigate the leads involving that black, blue pickup truck. Something I want to talk about real quick, you oh. say um, that there was a bunch of dead-end leads. I think Did I listen right when they said that people were calling in as like, uh, they weren't just wanted to get someone in trouble? Like they were just calling, hey, I think uh, my ex might have done this because they just wanted to get him in trouble. I think there were a couple. Like, yeah, there was a, there was a yeah. lot of them that were uh, like, it's uh, the best way, but just like wild goose, False. yeah, or wild goose chases. That they were just like following lead after lead after lead after lead, and like, what the fuck? This has nothing to do with anything. And, well, like like you said, the the girl had called in her close encounter with the guy, and it just kind of got lost in the. Oh, piles yeah. of calls that were coming in so you know when i was reading the or listening to the book i should say i i kind of was thinking like man if i don't know for sure what i saw is it worth calling or is every bit of information whether possibly not true worth calling in do you, do you think it's better to be like oh i may have seen this or what do you does it just clutter the lines you know what i mean like is it my guess my question is Emily you can maybe answer this too is, is it better to say whatever you saw even if it's not possibly true or not clutter the lines and let real information come through well typically they have a separate line for things like this tip lines to call in and if you truly think you saw something that could possibly in any way be helpful then yes it does not tie up lines it does not do anything now what the police department does with that information is on them, but you don't want that on your conscience. I would think if you were, you know, a normal human being walking around seeing something that you think could have helped and you didn't say anything, and then it could be your family member that was murdered next, then you'd feel like complete shit. So don't look at it as tying up the line. Like just say something. Yeah. That's my motto. I live by that. See something, I'm, say something. I'm glad hey, you live by that. Hey, well, my neighbor did something weird. I'm going to say something. <laughs> and when in doubt, just post it on the neighborhood page. Uh, hey, do you yeah, all, that was just a, you'll see, that was just a thought I had. You'll see this black blue truck drive around all weird. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying, like not wanting to tie up the lines if you're not sure what you saw or whatever, but like this is yeah, going on. You're not on calling 911 about it having cops saying, come like, freaking lights hey, and sirens I, to your neighbor's yeah. house to break down their door because you're like i think he's i think he's raping someone it's like how oh, dude and There's, i highly doubt back then that they were sending out you know a patrolman every single time someone called to make a report they were just taking these calls and the information they could and you know honestly probably not not even writing everything down and yeah probably not i mean we saw like i know i will talk about next episode with the the phone call or the uh the girl that had the close encounter we'll talk about her more in depth next episode but that was real information that led pretty much spoiler alert directly to you know what what they needed to find she had the information with her for how long did you say emily eight eight months yeah she eight had that months. information mm-hmm. huh damn way to go yeah 
yeah, but that was just a, you guys at home, you can talk about it amongst yourselves too. Uh, what, what would you do? Would you rather be safe than sorry by possibly having valid information or would you not want to, you know, tie up the lines with maybe fake information? Also don't call just to get someone in trouble. Yeah. Do you want to don't, rat out your neighbor? Cause they played the music too loud. Just don't blame murders on people <laughs> who didn't murder. And you just want to get them in trouble. And don't think that you just need to stay out of it if you, like, hey, 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 a hey, lot hey. of people have that mentality. We don't need devil's advocate here. I know. No devil's advocate. No, she's I'm just not... saying, like, hey, if you see experience. someone don't being hurt, just don't be afraid to call the police. No, I'm not no not kidding. that. I, meant, like, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know what you're saying. I'm being facetious. Anyways, you ready? Pick this one back up. Now, they started picking up the leads on that black and blue pickup truck. Mm -hmm. They ran the plates. They found that it belonged to a Sam Mayers. And so they went to the house to question him. And when they knocked on the door, they were surprised they saw 33-year-old Milton Johnson who was supposed to be locked up in federal pen for the rape charge he caught in 1970. Whoa. Boom. Can't wait to hear the rest. You don't know, now you know. Milton Johnson. Not Clinton Johnson. Not Clinton Johnson. <laughs> Milton Johnson. Dang. Huh. So what about Milton Johnson? No, we're going to say that. He was there at the door. Oh, he's at, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, is this your truck? Oh, so he's a truck. So hey, you're saying up? we have to wait. You have to wait till next week to hear the end, right? Correct. Psych. No, not psych. You're waiting until next week no. to hear the end of this. You're waiting until next, yeah. next week to hear you the end of this. You can motherfucking wait to hear what Milton Johnson did. He didn't do anything. He answered. <laughs> it's a witch, witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. He did do something. He answered the door. He did answer the door. Hey, right. He was on parole. It's all Girl, Girl, Girl Scout cookies. Okay. Check it. Right, so catch uh, the end of this uh, serial killer next week we get into the investigation the, the trying to arrest the guy and then his crazy ass trial which is wild it, his trial is is wild the trial's not it is it is the evidence it's, it's is nuts. like oh i saw that coming oh mm -hmm. shit i could saw that my fucking way trial not so much the trial is wild y'all be blown away <laughs> Yeah, but we did we did tell you it's gonna be a two parter, so you're gonna have to wait till next week to find out the end. Yeah. Oh. All right, hit us up on our socials at Bloodthirsty Times at Facebook and Instagram, bloodthirstypod at gmail.com, bloodthirstypod at bloodthirstypod on Twitter. We have a link tree in all of our bios, and 
we do love I? fan submissions, so you know, do I that. I gotta, I think I gotta add one to my bio. Do you? I don't know. You think you got a what in your bio? Send it to me. I don't have the link. The link tree. Oh, you have your OnlyFans in your bio. Yeah. You take that out. <laughs> Obviously, it's what well, makes me money. I can put that money. on our link tree. I can put that on our link tree if you okay. want. Y'all want to yeah. see me dance? All right. Yeah. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Love you. Don't harass women. No. Yeah. Don't buy a black, blue Chevy pickup truck. No, those are actually pretty cool. We'll post a picture of it. That looks, it's a pretty cool looking truck. Side note, it is pretty cool. Just don't kill people with it. <laughs>